0: 15, the ultra podcast, the show that invites you into the lives of people who make up the ultra family. Here's your host for these conversations, Larry Ryan.
1: Thanks, MJ. Welcome everyone to season four of 515. Today's conversation is with a man hoping to be the first blind athlete to finish a 515 distance event when he races in a few weeks at Ultraman Florida, February 10th through the 12th. Season four, everybody. Wow. Thank you for coming along for the ride. I have a number of great guests lined up from around the world this season. Remember to subscribe so that you don't miss any of these amazing people tell their incredible stories. If you are new to my podcast, I publish every three weeks on Friday, and there is a large library of episodes available with full show notes at our website or wherever you download your podcast. Be sure to go back and check those out. This season, I have so many guests to share with you, I will actually be releasing an extra episode within the next three weeks, which will be the Ultraman Florida preview with race director Jen McVeigh and the man with the stats, Steve King. That episode will also have another athlete in profile for Florida, Amy Jo Jenkins. That special off-regular release episode will be on February the 6th, so that you know who to follow at the race, starting on the 10th. All right, let's get into today's conversation. My athlete in profile today is a certified coach and the director of the New York Metro Region for Achilles International, a global adaptive sports and advocacy organization serving people with disabilities, like himself. He has podiumed in the para or physically challenged division in a number of marathons and 70.3 races. Last year he did his first full Ironman in Arizona, finishing second in his division in a time of 13:31:51 in order to qualify for Ultraman Florida. He has also finished second at the Tokyo Paralympic Cycling Trials for the USA in the 30k TT. He's from New York, New York, but today joining me from Telluride where he is out skiing welcome to the podcast Francesco Megasano
2: hey what's up man thanks for having me
1: yeah no thank you for joining me and and taking time out of your out of your skiing to to do the to, to do the interview and and also joining us today is his guide for the upcoming ultraman Florida an alumni of the race and an experienced crew member there he is also a New Yorker Brian Hammond
0: hey Larry thanks for having us
1: uh, it's great to have both of you here to, to understand the the teamwork that it's going to take to get this uh, monumental task done as it is for for all the athletes to get to that finish line now for for listeners, most of my athletes in profile conversation I usually spend the first part learning about the athletic history of the athlete and then do the transition round and learn more about the personal life today we're going to do that in reverse because I think uh, for you Francesco much of what your life has turned into your personal life has also grown with your athletic career such as your job so if you're okay with that we're going to do it in reverse today
2: cool
1: excellent so francesco as far as ultra athletes go you are on the younger side uh at you're just 28 years old if if i'm correct Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And as I said, you live in New York City. So I'm wondering, do you live in one of those giant New York City apartments in Manhattan that we see on TV sitcoms? Or are (laughs) you in some shared accommodation with seven roommates? Or are you in a house in the outer boroughs? Like, what's what's your life like in New York City? (laughs)
2: So definitely a combo of the first two. So I share an apartment with two other blind athletes, actually, which is a hilarious sitcom in and of itself. <laughs> um, and so the three of us are in the department um, on uh, in Manhattan in New York City. And yeah, like very, very stereotypical what you'd picture as a as a Manhattan apartment.
1: As, as a as a Manhattan apartment on TV or as a Manhattan apartment as in is that tiny skinny little thing that you can reach out and touch both walls at the same time
2: oh when I, when I wake up in the morning I can knock on the wall behind me and basically wake my one of my buddies up and <laughs> if I go to the bathroom and knock on that wall I'm like my oh, other made up so it's very it's very close together yeah.
1: yeah and are you like a swinging New York bachelor or what's the status like in that form
2: uh, not not married yet, uh, so that's a that's an in progress situation that yeah. we're we're gonna see how it develops. <laughs> it's a great time. It's a great time to be in New York. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, and Brian, you're you're a little bit older, I believe you're 47. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, 47. So a little bit, a little bit older than Francesco.
2: Uh, Brian's now. 47. <laughs> <laughs> what I've been hiding. And you're it all guiding me. Days. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're you're a little more settled into that whole family situation, Brian. Tell us a little bit about your background.
0: Yeah. So I've been here in New York um, right out of college. So 1999, Francesco might have been born. <laughs> I'm not really positive or not. Um, so I've been here for yeah 24 years now, and I'm married. So I'm married to Sarah and then we have two girls. We have a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old, uh Sophia and Avery. Mm-hmm. Got a dog, so I mean we got the the typical, you know, family story except for the white picket fence, like we do not have a fence in our apartment. Uh apartment might be a little bit bigger than Francesco's and we do keep our lights on unlike Francesco. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, when you get sighted people coming over to our apartment, all the lights are off. It's black pitch black and yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's kind of funny.
1: I would imagine, yeah. Now, now, Brian, you're the head coach and lead bike fitter at True Fit Solutions. Is, is that your own company?
0: Yeah, it's my own company. I've been bike fitting and coaching endurance athletes here in New York really since I got here. So probably the last 15 years or so. That's how I started about 15 years ago. Yeah.
1: And and Francesco, are you one of his athletes?
2: Yeah, we met. I will talk about it, but several years ago and been, been doing it ever since.
1: hmm Yeah. Now, now, Brian, how often when you're out at a race, do you like look at an athlete on their bike and then just want to go over and just like shake them and be like, ah, you need to go get a bike fit somewhere, please?
0: Uh, yeah, it happens a lot. You know, it's like I, I remember it's kind of like a lifeguard going to a beach, right? You can never kind of fully relax when you're at like a bike race or something like that. And for me, what's tough is Central Park, right? Like we do all of our training in Central Park. It's a six mile loop and there's hundreds of cyclists in there a day so whether i'm running or biking i'm just like handing out business cards left and right being like you should call call me just give me a call
1: (laughs) yeah so francesco maybe we can get into some background on your blindness i understand that you were born with sight but then you lost it as a teenager can you tell us about that
2: yeah so so when i was 10 months old i was diagnosed with eye cancer and went through like a bunch of eye surgeries and all that, but still had decent vision. Like, you know, I couldn't drive, but I could read small print if I held it up really close to my eyes, Um, all the way up until about like 16 years old. And then from 16 to now, it's been basically zero black. So that's Mm -hmm. also, you know, the the, the progression, the transition to like learning more about like how to use a cane, how to read Braille, things like that.
1: Right. Yeah. And have you ever worked with a, a guide animal or are you always a cane?
2: Um. Always a cane. I thought about. I actually got run over by an eighteen wheel truck, <laughs> like several, uh, like four or five years ago, and that was actually the only time I ever thought of getting a guide dog because obviously a guide dog would have seen it and all that. Mm-hmm. But I think I, I. So I love moving around and just being free, and I, I kind of do things impulsively. And having a guide dog, it's it's a lot more to think about, right? Because you can't just turn on a dime and do whatever. So right. ultimately, didn't go that route for now. So, yeah.
1: Now, it, in New York City, is it difficult for you to get around on the sidewalks? Because, you know, we, we know how busy the sidewalks are there. Or are people pretty generous about getting out of your way when you get the cane moving in front of you?
2: I'd say New York is one of the easiest places to navigate as a blind person. So, like, everything's a grid. It's super easy to figure out and count like building numbers and street numbers and navigate. And, you know, if someone gives me an address, I can pretty, I can find it pretty easily. I'd say a city like Milan or Tokyo, for example, where, so I'm half Italian, half Japanese, so spend time there. Um, those like older cities tend to be a lot harder because all of the streets are windy. There's nothing really uniform. And yeah, it, that's a lot more of a memorization thing.
1: Mm, right. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Now, as I said in the opening, you're the director of the New York Metro Region for Achilles International. Now, yeah. I assume you got involved in that uh, first as an athlete. Um, can you tell me what it is that you do there now and, and, and what it is a little bit? What is the mission? of?
2: Yes, it? for sure. So Achilles International, it's, it's a global organization. They have chapters around 80, 85 chapters all around the world. Um, And it basically gets people with disabilities involved with endurance sports. And so for the majority of people, it's running or walking or rolling, right? So if you have like a spinal cord injury, a lower limb loss, you might ride a hand cycle if you're not able to run like ambulatory. Mm -hmm. And so that's the the core program. And we also have a multi-sport program called Tri-Achilles. And that's how I kind of started my way um 2017 I I found Achilles cuz this guy in a grocery store basically came up to me and was like hey you're blind you should join this running group and I was like okay cool I'll google it make sure it's not like a cult or something and as long as it looks <laughs> kind of normal I'll show up <laughs> which is what I did and so um 5 years later you know and I lead the the operations and the growth and all that stuff for New York City Achilles so we have bor- uh chapters in four of the five boroughs Um, of New York serving like kids, veterans, adults, everything with disabilities. Oh,
1: that's great. And are there lots of people that come out to be guides or are you constantly recruiting? How do you find people that want to or can be an appropriate guide for this organization?
2: So, the biggest recruiting tool that we have for volunteers is actually our neon yellow jerseys and hats and logos and all that stuff that people just see running in the park and they just go home, Google it, but like figure out what it is and show up. That is honestly like 85, 90% of how we get volunteers. Um, mm-hmm. I lead a Saturday morning workout in Central Park every mor- uh, every Saturday year around, the Rainer's Grind. And I'd say on average, we'll have, I don't know, like 30 to 40, 30 to 50 people with disabilities, and then maybe 30 to 100 volunteer runners. So just depending on if it's like, you know, 10 degrees or whatever it is.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. And is there a training course that the volunteers do or do they just show up and it's thrown into the fire and we'll teach you what to do?
2: Yeah. So I lead a a new guide orientation and training. And so it goes over how to guide different athletes with all different disabilities, how to ask questions, you know, like safe verbal cueing, what to do in emergencies, all that stuff. We kind of go over Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the basic level of guide training. Um, And then we also have guide trainings for a little more advanced. So like for race guiding, it's a little different than training, you know, like running in the park guiding. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also cycling guiding, so like tandem piloting, uh, open water swim guiding, all those other aspects of guiding, we also cover and and do training on.
1: Right. And and we uh, we were just saying at the beginning that you're in Telluride now doing some skiing. So is that another level of guiding? Do you have someone working (laughs) with you to, to keep you safe on the slope?
2: So actually, um, I, so I partner with this organization, um, called Telluride Adaptive Sports Program task, and they actually do adaptive sports here in Telluride. And so I hook up with them for skiing. So I ski with this guy, Thomas Chapman. Awesome dude. We ra- basically communicate with radio headsets and he skis behind me and, you know, kind of tells me like, right turn, left turn, like kind of keeps me centered on the course and avoiding smashing into people and things. Oh,
1: yeah and then um are you uh labeled as a as a blind skier as well so other people will know to keep out of your pathway
2: yeah yeah we all wear like high biz things and and there's the the main guide to thomas is the one communicating with me skiing right behind me or Mm -hmm. you know like a couple turns behind me and then we have a second guide who's kind of the bodyguard they are skiing a little bit distant but they they go between us and anyone who's approaching just to like you know, <laughs> heads up, push him away kind of thing. <laughs> oh,
1: that's great. You have your own bodyguard on the hill. I'd like to have that. Yeah,
2: it was so fun. It's like VIP. <laughs> <D-I-T. laughs> yeah.
1: So is this how you two met? Did you meet at a New York uh, training session or how, how did you guys meet, Brian?
0: Uh, through Achilles. Okay. So yeah. I, started, I started working with Achilles in a coaching manner uh, with their Tri-Achilles team. A few years before Francesco got there, actually, I randomly met somebody at a stop sign on my bike, and they were like, "Hey, did you ever hear about Achilles?" I mean, it is kind of a cult, I can say. (laughs) Randomly (laughs) stalking people, Um, but they were yeah doing the triathlon program, so I got involved, helping run some camps and just some programming for the triathlon aspect of it, and then Francesco came along, and I think I participated as Francesco's first guide in triathlon I think right yeah well it yeah. turned into a duathlon yeah. the swim did get canceled um and funny enough I think Thank I had to a, a woman's Achilles tri-top that day and then during Ironman Arizona Francesco luckily brought me a top and he brought me a woman's running top which was nice <laughs> you don't have a blind guy take your clothes that's basically the <laughs> yeah, <way>. yeah exactly <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah yeah
2: Just keeping and, and things nothing, interesting yeah, you know?
1: and nothing's gonna <laughs> match so um francesco when when the guides meet and the athletes meet is this a little bit like dating do you go out a few times with someone and decide if you're a good fit as a guide to the athlete like how does that work
2: so super funny yeah so the people with whom I train the most frequently I'd say I I've known them for a while. Like we were friends first, right? Like we go out, have drinks, whatever. And then we also train. Um, it's interesting because when you talk about guide selection, it's the, the higher level of competition you get, like the less choice you have necessarily. So like, like we do this whole kind of athlete guide meant like counseling, you know, comp- like just moment, uh, at a lot of our camps and even we're starting to do it now, just like virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just talking about that relationship, right? Cause it is a relationship, but yeah. there is a level of, it's like half personal, half professional. And so it's just very interesting seeing that dynamic where like I've raced I, my first ever triathlon nationals that I did, I raced with a guy that I met the day before the race. And we did like loops in the parking lot on the tandem and like that was the way we got to know each other and like Mm -hmm. completely different personalities but like we were connected through a team he's like you know it was a pro and we just like you know not not the same setup that you would do if you're trying to look for like a weekly training partner let's say like in the neighborhood so yeah
1: yeah and and so like what was happening during COVID when you were you're not going out with a, a partner Probably, right? Like, were you stuck on a treadmill yeah. at that point? Uh, what were all these blind athletes doing that rely on the, on a guide?
2: So, very good question. We pivoted really quickly to doing virtual workouts because obviously like we couldn't have athletes and guides meet up in person. And so I think like a week or two in, back in March, I started streaming like a ton of virtual workouts to all of our community. Um, and then a few months in, we started like having people kind of create their own athlete guide pods where like, I'd run with the same guy a couple times a week. And we, we like understand who was, you know, who was going out with who and all that stuff. Right. Um, and then we resumed workouts actually in September of 2020, mm-hmm. um, you know, with protocols and all that stuff, obviously, but got, got that, got things going pretty, pretty quickly as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so when you were um, doing these workouts online, like I said in the introduction, you're also a certified coach, right? And and you do a lot of coaching with the Achilles. Then and 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 Brian's your coach. Yeah. But you, together, it's all part of that coaching continuum.
2: Yeah, especially because I mean, with Achilles, the vast majority of athletes or people, right, with disabilities who join, they have very they have little to no athletic backgrounds, and mm-hmm. part of it's because of the availability, like before I joined Achilles, I never did endurance sports because I never knew that there was even that opportunity or that I could. Right. And Mm -hmm. sorry, like, unfortunately many other people with disabilities are kind of like that. So like I was getting these athletes coming up to me, asking super basic questions like, Oh, how do you progress in like intervals over a couple of weeks? Like just, just basic questions like that. Mm -hmm. And I wanted educated answers, not just bro science. Right. So like I (laughs) started researching stuff and was like, why don't I just get a start? So that's what I did.
1: Excellent. So Francesco, how, how do you spend your time when you are not training? Then obviously skiing is one of the things that you do. Are there other sports that you take part in? Do you have other hobbies that you do? Do you got a you know, regular bowling night or something?
2: <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, sport wise, um, I've been getting into hiking a lot. And so like exploring, it, it's surprising how much cool hiking there is just within, in, within like New York city area, like within an hour and 90 minute drive. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I've been, I've been doing some of that, uh, bar trivia is super fun because then you get to like gather with your friends and just, you know, explore your, your knowledge of random trivia. I I do that Um, every
1: Tuesday night as well with my friends.
2: You do bar trivia. That's so fun, man. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So just, and honestly, like between training and working, like it's, it's, it's fun. It's all (laughs) it (laughs) is.
1: Well, great. Great. And I saw on your Instagram that you rang the bell at the Nasdaq recently. I, I, I know I did, it was yeah. to, do, to do with uh, the Achilles, but how how were you chosen to to do that out of Achilles?
2: Yeah, well, so we had a, a small group—the CEO of Achilles, plus like several of our directors and and VPs and stuff were there. Um, and it's just fun. I mean, it it, it gives exposure, right, to Achilles or for Achilles to a group of people that may not know about Achilles. So right. it's just, it's another cool opportunity.
1: Yeah. Um, Brian, how, how about uh, you? Do you remember, like you said, you've been doing these ultra sports now for 20 some odd years. Do you, do you remember what it was like before ultra? What, what was your life like then?
0: Uh, <laughs> no, it's too far too long ago. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, I've always
1: that you were involved in uh, growing up,
0: you know, growing up, I, you know, typical team sports, you know, football, uh, wrestling, track and field. And then I was always into biking. So I always raced BMX bikes when I was a kid. And that led me to mountain biking kind of down this whole path. Mm -hmm. Uh, As far as hobbies are concerned, man, I'm just a little ticked that Francesco hasn't invited me to Tuesday night bar trivia. I mean, (laughs) I think I'm a pretty smart guy and I, I, I like beer. So I'm not sure what the heck happened yeah, there. I'm Brian,
2: on and off the race course. Jeez,
0: um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to remember. I mean, it's always been a part of it. My wife is also a marathon runner and Ironman athlete. So it's kind of how we've even spent our time during our, you know, courtship. So oh, yeah. yeah, I don't think it existed time before Ultramans. Yeah.
1: All right, well, uh, let's get into our transition round, Francesco, uh, we'll, we'll do some rapid fire questions. You give me some rapid fire answers because we just do this for two minutes in transition and then we'll talk more about uh, your sporting life on the other side.
2: Cool.
1: Okay. Uh, what is your go-to workout music? Ooh,
2: rap or metal or country music.
1: So you don't play it for both of you then, it's just for you.
2: <laughs> oh, so we, we very rarely train together. We only basically race together.
1: It's just hilarious. <laughs> okay. uh, which athlete do you most admire?
2: Uh, next. <laughs> There's too
1: many. Okay. What is a book that you most recommend to other people?
2: I love The Count of Monte Cristo by Alessandro Dumas. It's historical fiction, and it's about, like, you know, revenge and love and hatred and all that stuff. It's awesome. All
1: right. How many bikes do you own?
2: Three.
1: <laughs> do you have a favorite?
2: My my seven cycles, Titanium Tandem. It's pretty rad.
1: What is the favorite event that you have done so far?
2: Oh, it's like asking how many stars are in the sky. There's so many good ones. I don't know, the the most recent one. I know, <laughs> Ironman Arizona, <laughs> all <Okay>. of them.
1: <laughs> what's on your on your bucket list for something that you want to do after you finish Ultraman?
2: Um, some race in Hawaii, some some capacity. I don't know. I know there's like a few different options. There are a few different routes we could take, so okay. that'd be fun. Okay.
1: And post race, what what's your favorite food? What do you indulge in after a race?
2: Ramen. Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: nice. Looking at both of your your race resumes, I I know that you did the Ironman Arizona together recently. Um, what other races have you done together, Brian?
0: Uh, we did what's small his first try small try out in Montauk. Uh, I think it was Mighty Man Montauk sprints, mm-hmm. and then after that, I mean, we did the USA Cycling Championships, both the road race and the TT two years in 2019 and then 2021 because it was canceled 2020 yeah. um and that was the first time francesco actually raced just a road bike or a tt bike as well like first cycling event and the longest time that was the first time he rode over like 40 miles or something too i think
2: oh so yeah that before then i think the the longest ride i think was like 25 miles or something and then we're like we're in was in Knoxville, Tennessee, like doing a shakeout ride. And and we're like getting ready for this 45 mile road race. And Brian's like, wait a second. Like, what's the longest ride you've done? Like, uh, 25 miles, Like, great. You're about to do a 45 mile road race and the longest race you've done or longest ride you've done is 25 miles. So yeah, it was great. It was awesome. Brian did, what was your longest one? It was like a couple hundred or something. Right. So like between the two of us, we kind of evened out. Right. I feel like that's, that's how this works. Right.
1: (laughs) Uh, what, what is your longest ride, Brian?
0: Uh, longest ride would actually be Ultraman 2016, 172. That's okay. probably still my longest, longest single ride event. Um, longest time ride would be 24 hour mountain bike race.
1: Hmm. But
0: the miles wouldn't add up, right? That doesn't, Which race was
1: that? Uh,
0: I did two of them. I did 24 hour solo. Uh, one of them was in... Vernon New Jersey and then one was in Dalton Massachusetts I think it was yeah they were they were before that was probably back in like 2002 mm. right around that time frame that that series is long gone
1: okay yeah yeah now after you get on to these uh, road bikes and TT bikes uh, I I see that you went to the, the the qualifiers for for the Tokyo Olympics as well mm-hmm. um, and you you did well there, but uh, you don't have anything on your resume saying that you went to the Tokyo Olympics. So so what no, happened there?
2: Um. Well, I, I placed second at trials, uh, but they didn't take first or second. Actually, because in, in parrots, it's complicated. But there's like other there's different categories of of uh, athletes and stuff, and so right. it's not necessarily, especially within cycling um designated like per category versus in triathlon it is like per category
1: okay yeah so um and you didn't attempt to do it in the triathlon event
2: um so for for tri it's less of a trials event more of of points races for the the year leading up to it um and so i had some like injuries again like got run over by a truck and stuff and so kind of was missing that those points cuz it was like that the build up to it was a lot longer. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I I know like with with Achilles um breaking down barriers to getting people to the starting line is kind of like your your mission and the Paralympics have been growing every time they've they've had the Paralympics. What what do you think of the Paralympics? Is it is it getting to a spot where it is Getting equally balanced to the Olympics, is there room to grow? Do you see the sports that you you would like to see enter the summer in the Winter Olympics?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's it's definitely growing, right? And it's it's super cool to see it grow, um, both because like professionalizing para sports, so adaptive sports on the elite end, I think is super important, super essential. Um, but then all of that kind of trickles down to to impact people who are not either yet at the elite end or have no interest in doing elite sports, but do want to do some type of sport. Right. So I think it's all really helpful. The visibility is, is, is growing the awareness. Just, you know, you walk into a gym and people these days versus 20, 30 years ago, so much more likely to be aware of adaptive sports and that opportunity and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And, and I, I think the, the continued bonus coverage of it on the television as well has been a, a big part of that, Mm -hmm. you know, that it's not like it's um, secondary to the Olympics. Now it actually has an Olympic standing.
2: Right. And even, I mean, Paralympics obviously super important. And even like majors like Boston, for example, like having para elite divisions with prize money. Mm -hmm. Like I raced the Boston half two months ago and there was an elite division that went off 30 seconds after pro women. And it was like having that, for the first time ever, so impactful, right? Because it's like, you're, you're, you're finally recognizing paralead sports as what it is.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Well, let's, uh, you know, you've done obviously the New York City Marathon, and you did Mm -hmm. your first Boston recently as well. Um, How is it when you go out and do a major event like that for you? I know you have your guide that you, you tether mm-hmm. with, um, do you have the the bodyguard as well to keep you protected from, like, the mass of people? Like, do you have extra people around you? How does that work for you in a, in a big event?
2: So in every marathon except for Boston, we, as in people with disabilities, are able to have two guides, mm-hmm. um, which is super helpful because, right, you get the, I have my main guide that I'm tethered with, um, and then I have a secondary guide who is that sort of running interference. Um, when we're, you know, near an aid station, my main guide and I will kind of go around it, not necessarily get into the mix. And then the second guide will kind of grab cups, bring it to us so that we can avoid, you know, uh, like there's so many times the, the majority of accidents that happen within para racing is all around those aid stations. Cause people just like stop without looking and you'll like <laughs> trip over them and all that. Um, yeah, it's happened. <laughs> um, and so it's interesting because a lot of these races I race, but I also work at it's so like, be, for example, New York city marathon, right? Like be, being in charge of New York city for Achilles, it's a lot of, of work leading up to it. So then it's really cool because I get to view it both as an athlete racing. So I get to like, you know, talk to all the athletes, be, be one of them, but then also I get to get a hand in organizing it and, and running the expo and things like that. So oh, yeah. it's yeah, just I a cool it. mix
1: yeah that's great and and have you ever had a guide that loses attention either in training or at a race and it like you run into people like i'm guessing it has so to she, happen at some point
2: <laughs> so she's gonna hate me for saying this but so this um actually so someone who's crewing for me in ultraman on our like first long training run this is back like last summer where i think we were like mile 14 or 15 in and I, like i kind of come in contact with this low concrete (laughs) wall and now yeah 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 it was it's it's great well and actually we so we we raced a. I completely forgot about this we raced a 5k several weeks later um and we came in first which was good but then the the bad part is that three feet across the finish line we go like straight into a cone so (laughs) it's kind of a rocky start but then we play second at boston together we did the marine corps 10k with the Dallas 50k, the song like the last couple months. Yeah. Um, so it, like the, the redemption has been there, but yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, for sure, like guides are guides, right? I, yeah. I don't think there is any guide. Brian, excluded. Brian's never run me into anything yet. Yeah, yeah. there's time, but like all I, the other main guides that I race with, I've probably run into something at least once with them.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I and, and Brian, how about how about for you? Like everyone who races knows that. You know you're only as good as you are on that race day um and now you having to race with francesco it's like well you guys are only going to be as good as both of you are on that race day so how much pressure is there on you to you know make sure that you show up the best that you can and you know perform as best you can to make sure that you're not holding him back on on the race as well
0: uh yeah it, there's not a lot of pressure if you have the conversation,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know. I think Francesco and I, when we did Arizona, you know, we we talked about it beforehand. And let's let's face it, I held Francesco back, right? Francesco could have run faster without mm-hmm. me attached to him, you know. Now he held me back in the swim, most likely. Um, and you know, so it always pays off. But typically, when you're guiding with somebody, you're guiding with somebody who runs slower than you right? Some of that, because it it is very mentally challenging. So you can't just focus on your run, your breathing, your pace, because you're talking,
1: right?
0: Calling out curves, calling out cracks, if it's sand or concrete and things like that. So you're typically paired up. And that's what Francesco was leading to before is, you know, at some point in time, I can't race with Francesco when he was going to do the Olympic trials for Tokyo and the TT. I'm like, don't take me. Get get another 20 or 30 Watts out of somebody else. So it's just having that conversation. And then, you know, the longer the race is something like this, like Ultraman, I don't, I don't feel extra pressure on this one at all. Right. right? I feel like a guide, I feel like I've been through this, you know, I'm a trusted source and he's going to have problems and questions. And I'm confident in my abilities and answers that I know we'll get through it together. Yeah. Um, as long well as he's doing a swimming, I don't know if he's doing a swimming. He better be doing a swimming. He's
2: skiing. I mean,
0: in the pool.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Francesco for you, like obviously the longest distance you've done is, is the Ironman Arizona and now ramping mm-hmm. up to, um, get all the training in that you need and, you know, taking vacation to go ski and whatever. Um, are, are you finding that you're able to find enough training partners to get the volume that you need?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm super lucky in New York in that finding, having training partners is, is never really an issue, especially running. Like I train most of the new guides we get for running, which is like, that's a lot of people right. that I have access to. So that's, yeah, honestly, I mean, running, no problems, cycling, you know, I, I do most of my biking indoors on a trainer, just, you know, more consistent, some longer stuff out outdoors, but most yeah. of the structured stuff is indoors probably the most annoying part, which is, is what Brian's alluded to is a swimming. Cause like, like, obviously like, I don't see that line at the bottom of the pool. So like, for me, it's just kind of like just waving your arms and, in this black, this nothing right. Like it's just soul crushing. So like, yeah, You know, like I've done a couple like the super long, long swims like to get ready for this, and it's just so mentally crushing. Do you (laughs) You you train in an
1: in an endless pool or in a regular pool?
2: No, just regular pool. I I don't. I don't have access to an endless one, so I just do laps at like a twenty five meter pool. And the lifeguards think I'm insane because I'm in there for hours. I'm like, "What the hell are you doing, guy? Like, (laughs) (laughs) like, get out!"
1: Yeah um and and when you're doing the swim i'm i'm guessing this might be one of the one of the harder parts for you guys to sync up on with the swim because when you're when you're running you you have the ground to give you some idea of where you are and cycling you're you're on the seat but in the water you're just floating and i would think it would be easier to separate while you're swimming so can you, can you tell me a little bit, uh, and, and maybe Brian, I'll ask you guys the, as the guide, can you tell me a little bit, like, how is it to match stroke rates and be able to make sure you stay that straight line and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, it's it's not easy. That's for sure. It's, you know, we're tethered. So we have a tether that goes around our waist and then our thigh. So Francesco's off to my left side. We're, we can separate enough that we're not hitting each other where we typically occasionally, you know, I'll see Francesco's hand kind of come under my face or like I'll get a little bump on the side, but the hard part is trying to go straight. That's really the hardest thing. So, you know, if I try to stop every five strokes to try to straighten him out, we'd be in there forever. So you just get to the point where you trust the tether for the most part. And, you know, if he starts to feel that, that pull, he'll start to correct. And he'll start to kind of move to his right a little bit, typically bump into me and kind of re reassess where he is. Right. And then I just, you know, maybe quarter way into that Ironman swim, I was just like, well, there's no way I can tell him anymore. I just got to keep swimming straight. And then hopefully that this works. And then at the buoys, it has to, you know, we got to stop, you know, let's just stop, tap him on the head. He pops up right hand turn gives him a second to kind of get reoriented because that's the part I was taking for granted at first. I was just trying to make the turns without letting him know. And then realizing, you know, he pointed out to me in the, the warm-up swims of like that's one, how he can kind of tell distance, right? How long yeah. have we been like I can see the buoys coming, he can't. So it's like, how long have we actually been out here and are we moving? <laughs> and <laughs> also just reorientating of like now we're going north or east or something along that lines. So the swimming the swimming is definitely tough. The hardest part, too, is if we're trying to pass somebody in an Ironman situation, you know, there's swimmers everywhere.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So to pass somebody, we can't just split them because we have the rope. Or you know, there's times when people try to split us because they're not expecting someone to be tethered. Right. So they try to swim in between us because it looks like they're a gap and all of a sudden they're just caught up in a rope. <laughs> and you're like, oh, yeah, no, there's a rope there. Sorry. <laughs> you're usually like, what the is going on here? And you're like, don't worry about it.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. But yeah, it's it's definitely challenging, and I, I mean, I give Francesco and any athlete who's visually impaired so much credit for. I mean, scary enough being in the water, but being strapped to somebody else who you assume knows what the heck they're doing, <laughs> yeah. um, it's got to be nerve wracking.
1: Yeah, because so, I mean, even with the regular ultraman race, when you're following your your kayak, um, you know, you're counting on that person to keep you straight. So now we're going to go another level down. It's like, you're going to follow a kayak and he's going to follow you. And it's like, yeah. Yeah.
0: I actually think it's going to be a little easier that way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, having that kayak there will make it easier for me personally, not to have to sight so far. Right. right. Using that kayak and understanding, like you just got to trust them, you know, that they're, that they're taking us in the quickest route. So I think that might actually be a little bit more helpful. I'm hoping at least.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that that's the swim. Uh, let, let me ask a couple of questions about your your biking. On your tandem bike, what, what are the bike positions? Like I assume you probably have normal arrow bars on, on the front, mm-hmm. but what do you have on the back? Are you able to change positions on the back?
2: Um so yeah. So I don't have arrow bars in the back. I have very low drops um and but so i'm also six five six i some six six <laughs> and a lot of my pilots are not six six and yeah. so like for me it's it's always a quite like if i'm doing a sprint race because all the Paris stuff for for nationals and all that stuff those are all sprint distance right so 20k bikes for that like i i can i can get down real low for 20k like it's fine for 112 miles or for, for ultraman like there's no way i'm fully tucked because it's all the hand it's all the weight on the hands right like my hands are basically numb after 20-30 minutes um so it's, it's definitely going to be a question of aerodynamics versus comfort and and all that stuff yeah so you,
1: you don't have a lot of positions that you can switch into to stay comfortable on that full day two bike
2: ride no because there's also that like they regulate the, the total length of a bike so when you're like ordering when you're getting a bike you can't just get it so long that you can fit aero bars in the back like there there's there's a ton no. of limitations like that as well so uh-huh. you know if i was a foot and a half shorter then maybe like we can figure out a tt position in the back as well but it's just not possible
1: mm-hmm. and and how do you travel with that how does the bike break down does the frame come apart
2: yeah so it breaks apart into three pieces and so it fits into two normal sized luggage like checkable suitcases so mm-hmm. super convenient
1: that's great. Yeah. And now would, would either of you know um, as, as a tandem rider, is your weight to power ratio is does it give you an advantage when you're when you're out there riding or is it a disadvantage? Scientifically. It's,
0: what do you think? Yeah, yeah. On, on a flat road, it's an advantage because weight doesn't weight doesn't impact your speed nearly as much as aerodynamics does on right. a flat road. So on a flat road, yeah, we can we can get going. On and up a hill, yeah, we're a little bit at a disadvantage there. Um, but still, it's watts per kilogram. Now, our, our watts don't necessarily just combine, right? If I'm doing 200 watts and he's doing 200 watts, we, we don't get 400 watts out of yeah. that. I don't know what the mathematical equation would be. We've talked about testing it, like trying to figure it out using like a power a, a power hub right? Mm-hmm. Like a power tap hub wheel. And then also using our power meters because we'll both use power pedals on the bike. And then we can you know, take those and figure out what is actually resulting to that back wheel. We haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've definitely talked about and thought about doing that. It's yeah. hard to find power tap hub wheel that's made for tandem. So <laughs> that's, that's one part of it. Um, but we definitely have, I think, I don't say an advantage, but an advantage probably on the flat road we get moving pretty quick
1: yeah 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 i guess there's not just not enough people riding tandem to have a lot of scientific information out there about it at this point right
0: yeah for i'm sure there is especially on the track most mm-hmm. likely that's probably where it would originate you know track track tandem cycling is much more popular than than road tandem cycling racing wise
1: yeah mm-hmm. and and are you guys able to um get fully arrow like you're saying you're bigger and you're on the back or, or do you produce a drag with the longer bike and you being bigger on the back or how does that work
2: for longer races yes because i'm not tucked as low if it's like a sprint distance race i can basically plank for 20 you know for 25 minutes or however long it takes to do 20 20k and yeah. it's fine but like my hands start going numb after basically 30 minutes if, if i'm in like the full full low position right so if we're on the bike for hours, there's no way. And depends
0: on who the pilot is as well. I'm only five. I'm only five ten, so I don't. I don't create a very big fairing for him, mm-hmm. right? So for him to get low, he's got to get lower than me for that wind to go across. So you know, for a TT or you know a, a sprint triathlon, he's better off with a guy who would be in that six one six two frame size to create a better fairing for for the aerodynamics yeah
1: and when you did iron man arizona brian did you notice anybody trying to draft off of you guys do you create a better <laughs> draft zone
0: <laughs> the bike the bike's too long i can't see past francesco and, <laughs> yeah.
1: and and how how is it learning to ride a long bike like that the handling um like how long did it take you to get into that
0: uh day one you know it's biking's biking the hard okay. part's 180s and for some reason in all of para racing, they love to put in 180 degree turns for the <laughs> thing in the place. It's, you know, it's like turning a semi truck. Like you have to have the, the space and we're going to go off the edge of the road most likely. And, you know, so whether I tell Francesco or not that we're actually off the road or not, um, I'm just like, just pedal, pedal, pedal hard. <laughs> He's like, are we okay? I'm yeah. like, we're just pedal.
1: Yeah. And how much much are you communicating about like gear changing or this hill is coming or I need you to lean left? And and how much of that is happening while you're riding?
0: Should be a lot. Um, Francesco tells me to talk more. You know, the hard part I find is as a cyclist, we think everything like we see the hill coming up. We see the corner. We know to put our right foot up. It's thinking out loud that's really the hardest thing is thinking out loud and screaming it out so he can hear, you know, over the wind. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's the thing is you just got to constantly talk even to take a drink. Like he has to say to me, like, I want to take a drink. We have to stop pedaling because our, you know, our feet are are, in step. So for him to reach down, we got to stop. It shifts the weight of the bike as well and all that stuff. But that works itself out pretty quickly.
1: Now, Francesco, you were saying with your skiing that you actually have a speaker in, in your helmet. Is is that allowed in, in the racing?
2: Um, I don't really know, honestly. Um, there's uh, there's a lot of rules in para racing that just come over from UCI or other, you know, like the able-bodied side just because, <laughs> like for no real big reason. So, like, if there's a rule that says, like, you can't have a radio in your ear, it's, it, it could just be transferred over to para racing without for, for no reason, you know, um, I, I I mean, if we're going into the wind, there's very little that I can hear, even if he's young at the top of his lungs. And so, but because like I've raced with Brian so much, like, I know, I basically know what he's going to say, right. It's either turns in which case I just have to hear right or left, everything else I can kind of figure out based on like how he feels on the bike, what the frame is doing, like you can kind of, you know, once you get to know someone, kind of tell what, what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but no, we, we've I haven't tried radios or anything like that.
1: Mm. And I guess when you're when you're on the bike, all of your communication is going to be technical. Then you're not really just having a chat because you need to be focused on keeping the bike going. Or do you get a chance to uh, just have a chat as well?
2: <laughs> there's definitely a little bit of chat, you know, especially like the longer the ride is. Right? It's like, oh man, my butt really hurts. Like, <laughs> there's definitely there's definitely some communication going on um yeah for sure yeah
1: well i know most 515 athletes will get to a point on day three usually where they don't want anybody to talk to them at all you know they'll be sending the pacer away (laughs) back to the crew vehicle and they don't want people to talk to them um have you guys talked about that are you going to be able to do that (laughs) how how are you going to approach when we get into these moods on 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 a three-day trip here
2: I'd love to see Brian's reaction. You know, Brian, I got this, man. I got the last 10 miles. (laughs) I hope it goes so well.
0: Uh, Yeah, it's, you know, listen, we've traveled a lot together, you know, for Ironman Arizona and for the USA Cycling stuff. We're usually in a hotel room with each other for like four or five days traveling. And yeah, I think we're okay with quiet time. I don't think either of us here are upset about that and you know the good thing is too is we do have a crew so we're going to be lucky enough and you know Ultraman, Ultraman Florida is allowing us to have an actual pacer with us so as I'm guiding him on that run day I'm not considered a pacer I'm considered a guide so we will have a third person there to kind of help alert us for traffic and stuff like that that will also I think help break the ice a little bit of us to not having to talk to each other for 12 hours a day, three days, three days in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and you're going to be with them for, for the entire race. So are you going to be an official finisher as well?
0: No, uh, I don't believe so. So the, the rule, cause this was all new. So Jen and Ultraman family, we, we were kind of sending emails back and forth originally when we had this idea last year that we were going to try this and, The Ultraman says that we are allowed to have multiple guides throughout this race, so we can trade off whenever we want to. Mm -hmm. Francesco and I have decided that we want to do this start to finish together because I felt, you know, as a past participant, I feel like that's part of the race, Yeah, you know, that like... I think the guide and the athlete should go through this whole thing together. But mm-hmm. from Ultraman's perspective, and I agree with this 100%, is that's a hard barrier for other athletes to then come in to not only does the athlete want to do this race, but to be able to find a guide to train with who's willing to do this race with them. Mm-hmm. So having multiple guides allows greater access for future athletes to come into, which I agree with 100% when they, when they put it that way. Um, but we think for, you know, the, how this race was created and what this race is, we're gonna, we're going to attempt to finish this together. But, you know, if I feel I'm holding him back or I feel like I'm going to be a liability, I, I will step off that course in a second for Francesco to, to do this. This is, this is his race. I'm there selfishly to be a part of it.
1: Mm. And in Ironman, how do they treat that? Did you get a official finisher in in the
0: Ironman race? I did. I believe I am now listed. It was not in the past, but now now you are. That athlete is listed. Typically in triathlon, the athlete, the guide is listed as a piece of equipment. Essentially, it's just okay. the
2: guide.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, in cycling and running, in cycling it's not that case. In cycling, you're considered a team mm-hmm. a pilot stoker um so iron man was always that way but this year when we signed in i had i had a separate number and you know i have his finishing time obviously because we were together the whole time
2: right it'd okay. be weird if we didn't yeah so it's kind <laughs> of, yeah, finishing finishing time right. is different from my finishing time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, i thought about it i thought about leaving you for a
1: party <laughs> yeah yeah now, uh, Brian, you, you've had a, obviously a lot more experience in the in the ultra field. You've raced seven Ironmans. You've done Ultraman Florida. You've crewed there. You've done a number of ultra runs. Um, firstly, which which runs have you competed at? And secondly, what kind of extra knowledge do you feel that you'll bring based on those experiences? Because um, as, as I'm sure you know both of you as coaches like most people kind of learn more from their failures and digging out of dark places than they and those big experiences so hopefully you can bring some of that when when it comes up in ultraman as it inevitably will for most athletes but t- tell us a little bit about your your background and and what you think you can bring as the coach and not the guide for for Francesco's race
0: yeah so definitely i Good experience in ultra events in a variety. Like I did, twenty four hour mountain biking race, Leadville one hundred mountain bike. uh Obviously, Ultraman, Florida. I did long gravel last year. The Black Course at Steamboat, which is like one hundred and forty two miles, and then the Vermont one hundred run. And the Vermont one hundred run was probably my biggest learning experience and like you said you learn through what your failures and that's really I didn't I didn't finish and it was it was hard to not finish right like that's always a disappointment and my kids were there this is going back maybe six years ago or five years ago I can't remember at this point five years ago you know my kids were like don't worry you'll do it next year you'll finish and I looked at them I said no I won't and they're like what do you mean like you didn't, you know, you make it. You always go back and do it. And I said, you know, I can't. If I can't train properly for this, then I won't do it. And today, beat me. This course beat me. This race beat me. I was not prepared the way I sh- I should have been. You know, mentally I was, and emotionally I was, but physically I wasn't there uh, for that amount of just elevation gain training in New York. I just couldn't get it,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and. You know, I I learned so much from that point. And, you know, what we're trying to find all the time is what our limits are. And that day I found my limit. Like, that was it. And, you know, I think that's that's the lesson we're all looking for. And that is the knowledge that I will use going, I have used going forward to everything. And that I'm sure we're going to need in this three days. At some point in time, everybody wants to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, at some point in time, you have that conversation of like, you know, why keep going? Should I keep going? Can I keep going? And it's just, you know, making sure you're surrounded with the people and your crew that are there to give you the honest answer and say, no, yeah, you're done. Like, you're not going to make the time cut off. Right. So you can either go get lost in the woods for a little bit or, you know, be safe and, and cut it off here. And I'm sure there are going to be points. You know, for like you said, every every ultraman athlete, especially on day three, at some point in time, is like, "What am I doing?" And you know, am I going to make this time cut off? Yeah. And I think that's what that's what I bring. You know, and most of it's just empathy and understanding how he's going to feel, understanding how I'm going to feel that day, and realizing, you know, this is where guiding is actually easier. And I thought Ironman Arizona was one of the easiest experiences of my life because it wasn't for me. Right. it mm-hmm. wasn't can i stop or will i stop it wasn't that wasn't a choice it's i don't have a choice to stop right this is if i stop Francesco stops and I'm, i can't make that choice for him he's going to make it so mm-hmm. no. i'm i'm thinking it's going to be easier for me on that third day than it is going to be for him <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> nervous laughter <laughs> nervous laughter exactly
1: and, and Francesco how how are you feeling for for your readiness have have you what's the longest run you've ever done or what are you thinking about this day three do you feel prepared for what's ahead in this 515 race for you
2: yeah i see well obviously you know first of all like disclaimer right having like no idea about what i'm getting myself into <laughs> I, I i like i, I did the, the i did a 50k okay. and that's the longest run i've done but like I, you know i feel like a d de- like a decent runner like whatever like i'm sure it'll suck but I'm honestly, if, if, if I had to choose like one thing that I'm most worried about, it's the swim because like, I never grew up swimming. I started swimming five years ago and trying to learn a very like visual stroke, like freestyle when you have no, like, I still have no visual conception of what it's supposed to look like. And so like trying to do that and all the limitations around swimming and, you know, dealing with people in the lane when you can't see that. I don't know. It's just like, it's just a long time. Right. And where like a lot of different factors and elements can come into play. That's honestly what I'm thinking about. Like biking. Yes, it's long, but like Brian and I have done biking. Sure. It'll suck, but Mm -hmm. it's biking and running is running. Like honestly, if I can get through that swim, I I think a weight will come off and again, I'm sure it'll suck the rest of it, but it's, (laughs) Yeah. I'm just, I'm, yeah, that's the way I'm at. There's, there's like so many unknowns. I think that's the thing, right? It's the unknowns of a 10 K swim. Yeah. And this is what's yeah. so great about it, right? This is that
0: like watching Francesco talk about this is what's so exciting about these ultra distance events, right? Is like, you don't know what's to come. Mm-hmm. It's so scary that you are not guaranteed a finish line. And most of the races we, keep doing we're guaranteed the finish line we've been there or it's so attainable we know our friends have done it Mm -hmm. right 10 of your friends have all finished that iron man so you're like yeah i can do this i know charlie charlie did it no problem i'm gonna do it this is this is one of these events of like you probably don't know anybody who's actually done it so you walk into this like man can can i do this and you're gonna have that question multiple times on every single day that's That's why I wanted Francesco to do this race. Like he's young, but he's ready for this. Like he's ready for, he's got that emotional awareness and, and, and drive like this, this race. like, Oh man, I'm so excited. Like this is going (laughs) to (laughs) be, And like I said, selfishly, I get to be there. Like I get to be there for those moments the multiple moments through there. Like I can't wait to pop up on that kayak at some point in time and look over at him and he's just like, where are we?
2: Like how <laughs> <laughs> much longer to
0: go? Like I'm freezing. We've we been out here forever. <laughs> yeah. You know, like oh I can't wait to be uh, Well well Francesco
1: That's great, That's great. <laughs> uh, in in 2016 Brian finished the race in 30 hours 52 minutes and 19 seconds. Are you gonna beat that?
2: Thirty hours, fifty-two minutes, and fifteen seconds. Well, the
0: good news is, if he beats it, I still beat it too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I, just, I just no, no, I, I you just do. need to like tell me when we're like ten yards from the finish line. I'll just like unclip the tether, just book it, and hope that I make it across the finish. Like I might go way off. We'll see. <laughs> sure, <laughs> just, I'm sure. I'm,
0: I'm sure. I'll tell you ten yards before, not after.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. this <laughs> is a blind man come like tearing through the finish line, like, <laughs> like on his own.
1: <laughs> well, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm pretty proud right now to say that my my audience is international. And and the 515 podcast has had downloads from 68 countries around the world and over 1,375 cities. So if someone out there is listening right now and wants to find out how um, they can see if there's a chapter of Achilles in their city, what is that website that they go to? How do they go about doing it? And and give us a little information about that because you are also an international organization, correct?
2: Yes, so it's Achilles International. So Achilles like the heel, A-C-H-I-L-L-E-F, then international.org. And when you log on there, there's a join button and it'll tell you, it, it's a, you know, basic application. Um, it'll tell you where all the chapters are around the world. There are remote places. I mean, obviously, New York City, L.A., but Mongolia and Tokyo are two of our biggest chapters. South Africa, like, it, it, there are chapters everywhere. So when in doubt, just just check it out.
1: Yeah. And obviously, um, the people that listen to this podcast also do a lot of traveling for races. So maybe they can check it out on one of their travels and, and, and go get a workout in as well. Yes.
2: Yes, absolutely. And there's, again, people of all different levels there are people who literally only walk and there are people who do Ironman draft Triathlon. So, and hopefully in a couple of weeks, you can say that there's people who do Ultraman. So yeah, huge range. And it'd be amazing if anyone came and checked it out. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, uh, thank you guys for spending time with me today. And Francesco, congratulations to you for being the first blind man to attempt Ultraman Florida. And I look forward to hearing Steve King call you across the finish line at that end of that double marathon. Good luck to both of you. I'm sure it'll be a fantastic experience and uh, I'd love to catch up and hear how it went for you. And and if there's anything that Ultraman needs to be doing in the future to make it more accessible for, for more athletes.
2: Awesome. Thanks. Nick. That's awesome. Yeah. I can't wait.
1: All right. Good luck. Wow. That hour felt more like 25 minutes. I hope I asked all the questions that you would have. If you ever want to give me feedback about the show, please contact me at the 515 socials and make sure to follow them as well. Finally, just a reminder to download the special in-between episode that will preview Ultraman Florida and also have another athlete in profile with Amy Jo Jenkins. Here's just a few seconds of that upcoming conversation. And, and do you have any fears leading up to this race what, what's your biggest fear about trying to do this race
0: oh that's that's a good question um yeah the, my fears are probably pretty silly um, you know had you
1: had asked me prior to this 2016 experience like my biggest fear would have been like oh what if I fail <laughs> you know've done that like a million times now you do you live to see another day um, it's not the it's not the end of the world.
0: Hey, if you liked what you heard today, please tell a friend and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'd appreciate it if you'd rate and review the show while you're there. Drop the names of the people you think we should interview and we'll get in touch with them and make that happen. Thank you for listening to 515, the Ultra Podcast, a production of 5-5 Enterprises. Now
2: really, go, go subscribe now before you forget.